For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. This is a gospel reading, so I invite you to stand as you are able. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about, about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. And if any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jenny. Yeah. Good job. Uh, well, before we get to the teaching, I want to let you know that our very own Deva All, who's on the preaching team here at Genesis, is preaching at Restoration Covenant Church in Apple Valley. So she is getting out there and doing what she does. So I want to pray for her uh, and then pray for us. So pray with me. God, for Deva, we pray for a powerful anointing of your spirit so she can do what it is that you've called her to do and that she would have fun doing it. And then for us, God, we open up our ears to hear your voice And we open up our hearts to receive what you have for us. Amen? I think this is a weird passage. It's a weird portion because it's like, it's unlike others where we get more of a glimpse of almost the journal of Jesus. We get almost a glimpse into some of what he's feeling about making the trip back home and preaching for the first time after being baptized, and after having gone out in the wilderness, he goes into the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth and preaches, and the reception is not favorable. And we read that Jesus' reaction, and I sort of read it almost like 
You know how in, in the office, how sometimes the characters look right at the camera and then say something, <laughs> right? <laughs> so like, when he says prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house, <laughs> right at the camera. <laughs> uh, the text starts with these words, and then he came from that place to his hometown. And that place uh, was on the east side of the Jordan River, uh, which uh, a bunch of Gentiles and other undesirables lived. And he did all kinds of crazy uh, ministry there, healings, and people were astounded at him. He cast some demons out of this one guy, sent them into a herd of pigs. The pigs then uh, went off the cliff. I feel really bad for that poor pig uh, herd, pig herd, shepherd, pig herd. I, I don't know how you call that. Uh, because all of a sudden he lost his pigs. And, and we don't know how that was, you know, we don't know the restitution that was given to him uh, at the hands of Jesus. But we can only assume uh, something was given. Truly a travesty for the bacon, <laughs> Truly a travesty for the bacon loss. Um, they didn't even smoke it. They didn't even smoke it. It just went, maybe they collected the poor pigs down at the bottom of the ravine. Who knows? Uh, but the man from whom the demons was cast out, he was so impacted by Jesus that he asked him to follow Jesus, and Jesus said no. Uh, he said, stay where you are, actually, and spread the word about me here, because i got to go back across the, uh, across the river, uh, and I have to continue my ministry. So really, really interesting things were happening on the east side of the Jordan. But when he goes back to the west side and goes back to Nazareth, uh, they have an, a strange reaction to his teaching. Um, and... Um, they say things like, on the Sabbath, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue. Many who had heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? Now remember, everyone who's in the synagogue has known Jesus since he was a little tiny baby, okay? Where did this man get all of this? What is this wisdom that he has been given? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Question, our first all-play question, if you're new around here, uh, we have conversations because we believe that we get better answers if we invite everybody to chime in. Why do they react this way to Jesus? They took offense at him. They question where he got his wisdom and by whose power he's doing these things. Why do they react this way? To Jesus. Because he was born under scandalous circumstances, says Shannon. And she's right, I think, because you'll notice that his father is not mentioned in that litany of family members. Joseph is not mentioned. Now, some people say maybe he died early and, and maybe he did. But, but regardless, Jesus was seen as an illegitimate child. So that's one answer. Pride, say more. Exactly. We, we all grew up together. In fact, I was your Sunday school teacher. You snot-nosed little punk, right? What else? Maybe people are jealous, yeah. It's hard when someone comes in and does a big-time mic drop. Uh, imagine being the normal synagogue teacher, right? He's like... 
What else? He's not trained as a rabbi, and he's acting like a rabbi. What else? Yeah, it's, so he's breaking from the, from the norms. We don't, we don't know what he's teaching yet. In this passage, it doesn't say what he's teaching, but it says what the reaction is, right? Uh, one more. They've already decided who he is. He's the carpenter. Thanks, Jenny. A little box for him, that's it. You can't break out of the box. Um, so he's been gone for a little while. And the truth is, he was a carpenter. And the truth is, he did grow up with them. And so they know all of his dirty laundry, and, and they know all the times that he hid the lizard in, you know, in his mom's uh, flower and, and how that made her mad. And, and they know everything about him, but he's been gone, and now he's back, and they're noticing something is different about him. And we don't like to think that Jesus changes, but in the scriptures it says clearly that he grows in stature, he grows in wisdom, and by the time he's gotten back, remember he's been baptized, and he's been through the wilderness, which would have changed any one of us, and now he's putting on his, the office of a prophet, and they're noticing that he's changed. So, all play question, how do you react to someone that you've known for a long time? that comes back from somewhere changed? You think they're fake. Thanks, Sean. Yep. Say, say it again, Alicia. You miss the old them. The old them was comfortable. The old them, you know, you knew what to expect from the old them. You ask them questions about why, why have you changed, how have you changed, and especially when what they've changed into feels a little dangerous and threatening and outside of the box. Now, we all like to read this story, and we all get immediately mad for Jesus, you know, like, those jerks, how could they treat him like that? But in reality, if you've ever had someone return from somewhere that you love and they've changed... At first, at least, it is not comfortable, and you typically do not like it because they're acting different. They're not doing the things that uh, they used to do to make you feel comfortable about who you are. And so this is what's happening with Jesus. And so I have some empathy for these poor people that are rejecting Jesus and causing Jesus to say, a prophet has no honor in his own hometown, but it also invites me to wonder about how much room I give people to grow and change. So I think the first question this portion of Scripture asks us to do, or asks of us, is what does it mean to be receptive or welcome to someone who has changed? I think it takes great maturity and wisdom to allow someone you've known for a long time to change. If you're immature and if you feel threatened, I guarantee you, you, you will attempt to cut that person down to size. And that's happened to some of you who have undergone change. Maybe you've never even left, but you've undergone change 
And then suddenly, the very system in which you used to fit and maybe even lead the charge in, all of a sudden is feeling threatened by you and they're starting to marginalize you and starting to cut you down to size. Now, uh, if you have felt that, just say an internal amen. <laughs> or an external one if you need to. Amen. All right. Uh, Jesus is actually uh, with you in that when you go through that, that rejection you feel, that response where people are threatened by you. I think this was not easy for Jesus to go through. I don't think he was just like, ah, oh, whatever, I expected this to happen. I think it hurt for him to go back into his hometown and even have his family members not stand up for him. I think it hurt, and I think it was really hard, and I think that's why we get the hot take where he says prophets are not without honor, except in their own hometown and among their own kin, and even in their own house, and maybe he's, you know, at least shouting to his brothers. And <laughs> yes, um, here's a warning for those of us in the church, because uh, here we are. Don't assume that you're always going to recognize Jesus when he shows up on the scene. Jesus is the human face of God in every generation. And if the human face of God was rejected in the, in the synagogue in the first century, it's likely that he's being rejected in the churches of the 21st century. Amen? Now, here we are in the church, so we at least have to be open to seeing how it is that we're not seeing Jesus, and maybe even rejecting Jesus. When it says that these people in the first century were offended by him, the word is scandalizo. It's where we get the word scandal. Jesus became a scandal to them. It literally means a stumbling block. They tripped over Jesus on their way to where it was that they were going. Now, I'm going to argue, in order to change, you, something has to trip you up. Because we are all walking or running on our journey towards something. And at some point, repentance is all about changing your mind and turning around. So at some point, you have to encounter that thing that trips you up. So here's an all-play question. What happens to you, or what do you do? How do you react when something trips you up on your way to wherever it is that you're going? How do you react to that? Get angry. Thanks, John. Yep, so do I. Question you question yourself. Absolutely. Am I going the right way? Was I going the right way? If I stop, am I going to go the right way again? Thanks, Claire. You can be offended, defensive, totally. Yep. Like, come on. I was, I was going fine. So over here. Yeah, you just push harder. Get up. Keep going. Oh, gosh, that's my MO way too often. Versus just saying, whoa, 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 what just happened? Now, Jesus calls himself a prophet. Prophets are not without honor, except for in their own hometown. What's a prophet? That's an all play. Someone who brings the word of God. Exactly. Can you get a little more specific about what prophets do? They speak truth to power, yes. Someone else? They encourage, yes. Yep. They warn of what? 
usually exile. If you don't change your ways, you're going to get the boot. And not from me, but from the powers. So prophets don't predict the future. Like, that's what a lot of people think prophets do. Like, they're, they have a, the eight ball, you know, the magic eight ball. And <laughs> it is decidedly so. Um, they have the courageous uh, job description of telling religious institutions that they're getting it wrong. That's what prophets do. They point out to religious systems where they have missed the boat. And what started as something really, really exciting and God-breathed, and now it's turned into an institution. And now the institution is only or primarily concerned with keeping the lights on. What happens when a religious institution knowingly or unknowingly becomes primarily concerned with keeping its own uh, system running? Us versus them. Thanks, Karen. Exclusion and decay, maybe calcification. This happens to every single institution. Say it again, Rach. Play to your highest contributors, yep, yep. Causes division, yep. Is that you, Scott? No, okay. But you serve the people, not God. This is... Thanks, Joan. You become fearful of what's different or outside. Now, bring Joan's comment right back into what Jesus is doing in his hometown, in his synagogue. He's just been on the east side of the Jordan where no one ever hangs out. He's seeing all these crazy healings. And then he comes back and does a teaching. And what does he say about the healings that can happen in his hometown? Now, this is a little funny, like, right? He couldn't do any deeds of power except for put his hands on a few sick people and heal them. You know, it's like, I feel sort of bad for those few sick people. It's like, wait a minute, I, that, that, that mattered. And, and what does that even mean? Like, is that like a, like a video game where there's, you know, 13% of power left, you know? And that's, so I, 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 don't, I don't really get that except for Jesus is saying there's something about this system that is sick and that does not, is not accepting the new thing that God is trying to do. Now, the primary metaphor in Christianity is birth, death, resurrection. Amen? We all agree on that? Anyone disagree with that? Primary metaphor for Christianity, birth, death, resurrection? So, if you want to keep moving in Christianity, what is somewhere in your future? Death. Awesome. Now, physical death, yeah, maybe. I mean, for sure, for all of us, I think the death rate is hovering right around 100%, uh, as far as I know. But also little deaths, right? Little deaths, little disappointments, little rejections. And sometimes they're so little, they're super embarrassing how, how much they affect you, right? 
Sometimes they're big. But the path of Jesus towards making all things new has to go through death. That's how it works. So I think when institutions are beginning to die, guess what needs to happen? A funeral. It's been great. It's been a great 500 years. Now, I'm not trying to be flippant about that, but I am trying to bring out like the natural pattern in the way of Jesus is birth, death, and resurrection. And pastors and prophets, the difference is pastors help with the birthing process. Prophets help with the dying. And then pastors come back around and help with the rebirth, resurrection. So we need prophets now, don't we? We need prophets to say, this is scary and this is weird and this is hard, but the construction that we all built our lives on is starting to crumble and prophets are the ones that say it's time for deconstruction. It's time to deconstruct that which no longer works but not for the sake of deconstruction. We've all been around people, right, that all they want to do is deconstruct. That's like, there's only so much wine I can drink with you, brother. <laughs> like, honestly, man, I, I'm, I'm down with deconstruction. But at some point, we have to see the new thing that God is doing. Amen? And at some point, we have to start moving toward that. So, the next part of the passage is uh, Jesus goes into the villages and he sends out his disciples two by two. By the way, they know next to nothing at this point. This is Mark chapter six. So like it's on the job training entirely. But he gives them authority. And so they go out and they proclaim repentance and they cast out demons and they heal the sick because that's what was needed in the first century. The question for us is what is needed now? What is needed now? As we are sent out, two by two and three by three, what is needed so that God can continue to do the work that God wants to do in the world? Now, uh, so I think this second portion, if the first portion of the text is, what does it mean to receive someone who has changed? The second portion, verses seven through 13, is what does it mean to be a changed person in the world? What does it mean to live as a changed person in the world? Or you might say, a, a better way to say that would be a changing person, right? Because we're not, you know, we're not, we haven't gotten there. The disciples certainly weren't there. And Jesus gives them really fascinating instructions. Like, I would be so mad at Jesus because I'd be packing my bag, man. I'd be like, putting my best sermons. For sure, I'd bring two pairs of shoes at least. Uh, <laughs> you know, I would bring more. Um, he said to them, uh, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. And if any man place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake the dust that is off your feet as a testimony against them. And that's after he says, don't bring an extra tunic. Don't bring money. Don't bring, you know, you can wear sandals and a walking stick, but that's it. Why does he bring up staying at someone's house? That seems odd to me. Say more. Community, say more. 
needing to be in a relationship with others, yes. Specifically, what others is he talking about? It's family, yes. Yes. What other others, too? Outsiders. Outsiders. So remember, he's on the, they're, they're going to the villages. Now, the villages, this is so fascinating. Like, Nazareth is the place where, you know, uh, day laborers come in and work, and they go back home to the villages to sleep. That's what villages are, because they can't afford to live in the city. So we're talking about day laborers, and we're talking about normal people, outsiders. So Jesus is saying, when you go in the villages, like, don't, don't take day trips out there and stay, you know, stay in Nazareth that night. Knock on a door. And the hospitality in the Middle East is beautiful and amazing. If you've ever been there, it's, it's, it's second to none. So when you come into a place, stay there until they reject you. Now, what would it take? Has anyone been in the Middle East in the room? I know a few of you have. Okay. From those of you who've been there, what would it take in the Middle East even now for someone to kick you out of their house who's already invited you in? It'd be a great offense. Like, Steve's shaking his head like, it just wouldn't happen. I mean, it's just, yeah, you would, it, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, like, to do something that would get them kicked out, that would get you kicked out, you would have to just, you would have to offend them so deeply. But Jesus is saying that it is possible that people won't hear you and that they won't pick up what you're putting down. And in that case, he says, shake the dust off your feet and go somewhere else. What does he mean by that? Because that sounds really exclusive, doesn't it? Shake. Let's read the text. So Sally's asking, am I creating the offense? Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, then leave. So we could say maybe the offense happens at the front door. Maybe the offense happens in the house, in the meal. It's, it's, it's unclear. But something, something happens to where the option is for you to leave. Right? What? <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Don't swim around your own toilet water. I, I needed to hear a whole lot more kids laughing at that one. <laughs> the words toilet water were just said three times in church. This is fantastic. Um, shake the dust off your feet. If they don't hear you, shake the dust off your feet. You guys know what this means. What does it mean? Don't leave offended. Don't take the offense. Just leave it. Forget about it. Don't Spend a ton of time trying to convince people that aren't going to hear you what you are being called to say. And this is a hard word, right? Because I feel like there's, there's part of this, the culture that we're in that says, no, you just keep, you keep convincing, you keep trying to convince, keep praying, keep praying. But I think there's a time when you've been radically changed uh, and all, and people are starting to gather around you because they need the healing that you bring and you've noticed it. And you can say, man, they're them. And this is just almost always true too. When you've been changed, the people that start, <laughs> the people that start to gather around you are who? Say, say it louder. Sick people. 
like elders of the church typically aren't flocking to like read your book or that's a little too autobiographical. Um, <laughs> but I'm not, but, but this is where it's so hard, right? Because it would be so easy for me or others to say like, yeah, I'm doing the holy work, all the sick people are, I'm not, and that's just hard. But if you find yourself and the people that are wanting to meet with you and gathering around you are need healing, right? And if you find yourself, man, I would love to heal them, but dang, I, I'm, I'm having this argument over here. Sometimes, sometimes shake the dust off your feet. Amen? Now that takes discernment and wisdom and maturity. And it's, it would be easy to just, you know, stamp anytime you feel frustrated or anytime you're acting like a complete jerk and no one will listen to you because you're a jerk. Like sometimes that's the answer. But other times, it's you need to move toward the people that need the healing that you have and trust that God will bring other people to the people that keep arguing with you. Amen? So, I don't know how to end this sermon. <laughs> but, as a church... We're about to move to Robbinsdale, right? All this change is happening. Uh, I feel excited about it and also a little, a little scared too. Here's my request of us, and you should ask it of me too. Can we keep our eyes open, please, to where Jesus is moving, to how Jesus is working, and to where Jesus is calling us? In this text, Jesus sent people out two by two, and they went. That's what we need to focus on. Amen? Together, let's discern that. Where is that? What is that? And um, that'll be <laughs> challenge enough. And then you in your own life. Some of you are like right in the middle of deconstruction, maybe some reconstruction happening. What do you need to hear and who do you need to surround yourself with so that you can keep walking that hard road? Because that is a hard road. And I don't, if, you're, if that's you, uh, please reach out to either me or someone in this community because no one should walk that road alone. That's why two by two, because that is a hard road. Okay, whoo! Deep breath in. Let it out. We're going to move into 60 seconds of silence, after which time Stephanie's going to come up and lead us through the prayers of confession and then into the Eucharist. So come Holy Spirit, speak to us now.